This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org, overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. Welcome to our program today. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church Christ. I want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures. We're going to continue in our lessons on Proverbs Illustrated today. And we want to begin in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 8. Proverbs 9, 8, where we see the wise man's attitude toward reproof. Proverbs 9, 8 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Now, how are we going to illustrate this passage? Well, I want to go to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12. 2 Samuel, chapter 12. And we're going to look here at David being reproved here by the prophet Nathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, let's begin there in verse 7. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. All right, what is he talking about? Well, you go back and you look at the things that had just taken place there in chapter 11. And we find there that David had committed adultery with Bathsheba and that Bathsheba was with child. Uh, she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of David's mighty men. And you go through chapter 11 and you see that David tried to hide his sin by bringing Uriah back, uh, but Uriah would not go to his home. So David actually had a messenger sent, or the messenger there was Joab, to, or to Joab, the messenger to Joab, that Uriah was to be killed in the battle because Uriah would not do what David had said because he was trying to hide his sin because Bathsheba again was with child. And then in verse 24, it says there in the battle there against the Edomites, it said, The shooters shot from off the wall upon the servants, and some of the king's servants be dead, and thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as the another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. And verse 26, And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, <clears throat> she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, David is still trying to hide his sin. He's trying to make it look like either that Uriah was the father or he fathered the child after they were married, but actually it was the result of adultery. And then Nathan came to David there in chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. All right, at the end of this, we're going to find out that one was David, the other Uriah. 
Verse 2, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. Again, getting back to the comparison, David had many wives. Verse 3, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. He only had one wife. That was Bathsheba which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. All right. You know what? Adultery is devouring someone's life, and that's what we're going to see next. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd, for to dress the way, for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. All right. So how does David react to this story? Well, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As sure as the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. You know, there are times in our lives when we won't want to face the sin that we have committed. David here is telling Nathan, this man is going to die. He's going to restore it fourfold. And that's when we get down to verse 7. Nathan said to David, thou art the man. David, you're the one that did this. You're the one that took another man's wife, committed adultery with her, and then had him killed. And now you expect to get away with this sin. It's not going to happen. Now you continue reading, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Verse 9, Wherefore or why hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Right there, David. Here's what you've done. Now, therefore, here's the consequences of David's actions. The sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David tried to hide his sin. It didn't work. God saw the sin. Now, verse 
13, David said to Nathan, what's his reaction? I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. You see, David actually gave the judgment upon himself. As the verse 5, the end of it, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. Well, the Lord's put away his sin. You're not going to die. But then he said, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. David did suffer the loss of four of his sons. He suffered the loss of this child. He suffered the loss of Annon, one of his sons who had committed fornication with one of David's daughters. She was killed by Absalom. Then Absalom was killed by Joab. And then Solomon had Adonijah, David's son, killed. So David did repay that. But verse 14 also says there, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. So because of David's actions, four of his children died. Those are consequences, but then again, whenever David was rebuked there by Nathan. David then confessed his sin. I have sinned before the Lord. You go over into the book of Psalms and Psalm 51, now a little note there, and these notes are not inspired. These are things that were written there from what I've read. Nobody really knows where they came from. But it says, To the chief musician of Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. The psalm fits what we're looking at here. It begins, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy, uh, thy tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. David's transgressions. What he done? He committed adultery. He lied. He got drunk. You go back and you read chapter 11 there in 1 Samuel. He had Uriah killed. So blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. You notice there how many times David refers to himself in being at fault. Verse 1, have mercy on me, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, verse 2. Verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And then verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned. That's 11 times that David refers to his sin, that he wants it wiped out. 
in verse 10, he says, I want to back up just a little bit to verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide my, uh, thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. David was truly repentant of what he had done. And it took a brave man by the name of Nathan to come to him and to reprove him and rebuke him about what he had just done. And it goes back to what we read there a while ago in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. We'll reread that again. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. David had his sins forgiven because he repented, and that at the rebuke of Nathan the prophet. You know, David could have had Nathan put to death, but he didn't. He accepted what Nathan said and acted on it. Now let's go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2. And we will look at treasures that profit nothing. Treasures that profit nothing. Treasures of wickedness profit nothing, but righteousness delivereth from death. All right, what about the treasures of wickedness that profit nothing? Let's go to Luke chapter 12. We're going to do a couple of different examples here from the book of Luke. Luke chapter 12, I'm going to look at verses 13 through 20. Luke 12, 13 through 20. If I can get my fingers to working right here. Verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, Speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now, Jesus knew the heart of this individual, and it may be that this man was covetous because of what Jesus just brought up. But beware of covetousness, the desire to have. Uh, covetousness, Paul says, is idolatry. We're worshiping the mighty dollar or whatever it may be. But then Jesus spake a parable unto them, Verse 16, And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. He had a wonderful crop. Everything apparently worked out right. He got it planted at the right time. The temperature was right. The rains were right. He has a bountiful harvest. Verse 17, And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. 
All right, what shall I do? I don't have enough room. Well, what could he have done? Well, whenever Jesus said, beware of covetousness, we're leading into this, are we not? This was a covetous man. He could have shared this bountiful harvest with others. There were the poor there, we're certain of that. The poor have been with us forever here, forever, but since the creation, the poor have been with us, and he could have shared with them. But what did he decide? Verse 18, he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Well, I don't have big enough barns, so I'm just going to tear them down, and I'm going to make bigger barns so I can have more. That's the American way. We want more and more and more. Verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much good laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You got all you need. You can retire now and live the way you want to live. That's the American dream. Verse 20, but God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? What did God mean there? Number one, the desire for wealth, covetousness there, makes a person to be a fool. Because that night he was going to die. All these wonderful plans he had made. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I'm going to live a life of ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. Oh, you know the little saying, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. Well, this saying, eat, drink, and be merry, you're going to die tonight. And you're not going to be able to do that. He never pulled one nail out of a barn to pull it down. Everything that he had went to somebody else. Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Those are treasures that profit nothing. Didn't profit that man at all. Actually led to his spiritual demise. Well, let's look at another instance here of treasures that profit nothing. Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a certain rich man. All right, let's stop here for a minute. We've seen a rich man in both cases here. And we need to ask ourselves, am I rich? Am I rich? Well, we've helped support various times, different congregations I was at. We've helped support uh, preachers in India. And the last I heard was that the daily income of the poor people in India was a little over $2. 
they'd get just enough to eat that day then they would have to go out into the fields or wherever and work the next day in order to make enough to eat that day so do you make more than two three dollars a day if you do you're rich so let's we may be looking at ourselves here anyway there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Ate like a king. How many of us have had to miss meals because we didn't have enough money to pay for that food? How many of us fare sumptuously every day and it may be a bologna sandwich, but we're eating more than some other people eat, are we not? And verse 20, there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. You look at the Greek word translated laid there, it means to throw down. Apparently somebody would pick up Lazarus from wherever he was at, take him and throw him down there at the gate of that rich man. That rich man going in and out would see him laying there day by day. And they'd just throw him there. Well, verse 21 says of Lazarus, And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. All right, I don't know what kind of a disease that Lazarus had. But I do notice that he wanted to be fed with crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. You ever think about that? The crumb, you know, you're sitting there eating and all of a sudden something falls on the floor. What do you do with it? Well, if it's good, sometimes you'll know, use the five-second rule, pick it up and eat it. But, you know, but what if you, it falls down there and it gets swept up in the trash and then the dust and everything that's on the floor? And that's what Lazarus longed to eat. He longed to have those little crumbs. May have been mixed with some dirt. People been walking on that floor, such as that. And then the dogs came and licked his sores. So I don't know again what kind of disease he had, but the door dogs licked his sores. Verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. All right, so Lazarus died, and his spirit, soul there, was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Jesus called that area paradise. So he's now in paradise in Abraham's bosom, and apparently they didn't even bury him because the rich man died also and was buried. Lazarus was probably taken out and thrown in the city dump. You know, there if it was Jerusalem, there in the in the valley of the sons of Hinnom or Gehenna, there outside the city of Jerusalem where the trash was burning and the dead bodies and such things as that. Verse 23 says, And in hell he lift up his eyes. The word translated hell there is Hades. We're not looking at the lake of fire 
talked about there in Revelation 21.8, we're not looking at the literal Gehenna hell. This is the Greek word Hades. So in Hades, he left up his eyes being in torments. So now we see there are two areas there in the Hadean realm. That part that is called Abraham's bosom or paradise, and this part that is called torments. Lazarus is in paradise. The rich man is in torments. And it says, And seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Well, we know this is not hell then, because hell is a place of outer darkness, as Jesus said. So here, it is not hell. But he sees Lazarus and Abraham. And he cried and said, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. Well, we see right there then, those that are in torments are in flame. And they wish, or at least the rich man wishes, he just had a tip of the finger full of water to cool his tongue. Think about all the times that this rich man may have walked by Lazarus and not even paid any attention to him. You know, he could have brought him a sandwich. He could have brought him anything to eat, but apparently he didn't. He may have had some of his servants taking crumbs. But now he wants Lazarus to do something for him. He never did anything for Lazarus, but now he wants Lazarus to do something for him. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. So, what good did all those riches and all those treasures do this rich man? Absolutely none. Going back there to what we read in Proverbs 10, too, these are treasures that profit nothing. But let's continue, <clears throat> verse 26. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So right, you know, we, we see a description here of the spiritual realm where we go when we die. The Hadean realm, Hades means the realm of unseen spirits. There's two sections to it paradise or Abraham's bosom and torments and between those two areas of Hades there's this great gulf so the people can't go from one side to the other well what did that rich man how did he respond verse 27 then he said I pray thee therefore father that thou would send into my father's house for I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. See, now that rich man has concern for the lost. <clears throat> it's too late. See, all those riches he had profit nothing concerning the spirituality of his brethren. He doesn't want his brethren down there where he is. 
He wants them to turn. He wants them to change. He wants them to be faithful to God. Well, verse 29, Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, he's saying, They have the word of God. It's the authority. Let them listen to that. Let them pay heed to it. Let them take action on it and be faithful to God. Well, we're not under the law of Moses now. We're under the perfect law of liberty that James mentions. We're under the law of Christ. We're in the New Testament. And the same is today. We have the word of God in the Bible. We have the opportunity to read it, to study it, to obey it. Well, what did the rich man say? Verse 30. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. In other words, what is he saying? I didn't listen to Moses and the prophets, and they're not going to either, but if somebody comes back from the dead, they'll listen to him. Well, you know, that's not true either. Jesus was raised from the dead, and people still don't believe in him. Verse 31, Abraham speaking, he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. It's not going to do any good. The word of God is where the authority is. If they won't pay any attention to that, they're not, they're not going to pay any attention if somebody came back from the dead either. Treasures that profit nothing. When our focus in this life is on our treasures, our eternity is in great jeopardy because those treasures will not profit a thing. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24 now. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 10, verse 24. And we're going to be looking at the wicked are tortured by fear. The wicked are tortured by fear. Proverbs 10, 24. The fear of the wicked, it shall come upon him, but the desire of the righteous shall be granted. The fear of the wicked shall come upon him. Let's go to the book of Daniel to see the illustration of this proverb. Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar is the king of Babylon now, and he's the last king of Babylon. Verse 1 says, and this is around 539 B.C., Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. And Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar, of course, his father, that would refer to uh, great-grandfather, grandfather, whatever. But anyway, Nebuchadnezzar was far back there 
within 70 years because that's as long as Babylon lasted. But anyway, with the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Now verse 5. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. All right, you think about that. You're having this great celebration and all of a sudden fingers show up and start writing on the wall. He saw it. Verse 6 says, The king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. He was scared to death. His knees were knocking. He, was, he couldn't stand up. He was, I mean, it just, well, he trembled at the word of God. Verse 7, the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers and the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clo <coughs> excuse me, clothed with scarlet, and have a chain of gold about his neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. What does it say? Verse 8. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing, nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, <clears throat> and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished. They were perplexed. What's going on here? His knees are shaking. His knees are knocking together. He, can't, he is just loose. He can't stand up. What's going on? Verse 10, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father the king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. 
So let Daniel be called and see what happens here. Well, verse 13, then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said to Daniel, Art thou that Daniel which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretation and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about thy neck, and shalt be third ruler in the kingdom. Verse 17, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read, unto, read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. Verse 18, O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom, and majesty, and glory, and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, languages, trembled and feared before him, whom he would he slew, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would he set up, and whom he would he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. Verse 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. You knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, you knew why it happened to him. You knew why he was restored. But what have you done? Verse 23. But hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of his house before thee. And thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and brass and iron, wood and stone which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, thou hast not glorified. God holds your breath in his hand, and you have not glorified him. And then he makes the interpretation. Verse 24, Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tikel, ufarsen. Now these are all money weights. Verse 26 says, this is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. He reads, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And then that night, verse 30 says, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Verse 
But right there, the wicked are tortured by fear. Belshazzar knew what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, and yet he would not humble himself before the God of heaven. Let's look at another proverb now, and that's Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25. And this is abiding foundations. It says, as the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. Let's look at a couple of illustrations here. First, we want to look at the promise that was made to King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to begin reading here in verse 12. It says, and this is spoken to David, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. All right, who is he talking about? This is God speaking to David about the Christ. I will establish his kingdom forever, the kingdom being the church. Verse 14, I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I'll chasten him with a rod of men, with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Now verse 16. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. The abiding foundation, the Christ himself there being the promise that was made to David. Whenever we go over to the book of Acts, chapter 2, book of Acts chapter 2. We find in Peter's sermon that he refers to this. One of you drop down here in chapter 2 and we will look down in verse 29. It says, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. 
So right there we see that Christ is the one who is prophesied here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. There's a little questioning there in, in the verse there, verse 14. You know, if he commit iniquity, well, Christ never committed iniquity. He did not sin, but God made him to be sin for us. So there may be kind of a dual thing here about Solomon as well, but Christ, his kingdom is the one that is established forever. There that Christ would sit upon his throne, Acts 2, verse 30. And then also we want to look at the foundation of Christ and the apostles. These are abiding foundations. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The foundation of the church, the foundation of our faith is Jesus Christ. And we build upon this foundation. Verse 12, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, all right, what we're looking at here. Well, verse 13, every man's work shall be made manifest or made known. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try or prove every man's work of what sort it is. What sort it is? What is it? Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. Verse 14, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. That would be the gold, the silver, the <laughs> precious stones. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved as it was yet by fire. That's the hay, the wood, and the stubble. So what is that talking about? That's basically talking about the people that we are teaching. We are setting examples before others. We are teaching others. Some of those are going to be faithful. Some of those are not going to be faithful. But if we do our duty in teaching others, we can't make people obey. People have to decide on their own. Some of those people are going to be gold, silver, and precious stones. They're going to be faithful. Some are going to be wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to be burned up because they're not faithful. But there's that everlasting foundation, verse 11. Let's look at another one in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. <clears throat> now, therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. All right, this building that is built upon this foundation, that's the church. 
and we are part of that foundation. We build on this foundation that the apostles there laid the foundation, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone there of which everything is built. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So right there, we have the foundation that is sure. It is one that is an everlasting foundation. It is an abiding foundation. Again, back in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 25. As the whirlwind passeth, so is the wicked no more. But the righteous is an everlasting foundation. When that tornado comes by, things are destroyed. Things do not abide. And he's talking about that's the way the wicked are. But if you are a righteous person, you are you have an everlasting foundation. We'll stop right there, and Lord willing, next time we'll begin with some more Proverbs that are illustrated. But again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. I want to thank you for being with us today, and I want to give you an invitation if you're ever in the area of Moody, Missouri. Uh, we're kind of south, a few miles south there of West Plains, Missouri. Uh, located on Highway E there in the corner in Moody. There's one corner in Moody, and we're located right there. But if you ever want to come worship with us, you're in our area. We meet on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible classes and at 11 o'clock for worship. We also meet Sunday evening at 6 o'clock for worship. And again, we meet on Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock for Bible classes. So I want to thank you for being with us today, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ, located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program. You can find out more about Bible Media by visiting us at BibleWayMedia.org. You can also find us on several uh, social media platforms now. You can find us not only on Facebook, but you can also can find us on Tumblr. You can also find us on the Twitter alternative known as Telegram and on the Facebook alternative known as MeWe. We hope you enjoyed this program. We hope you will share with others. And as always, we thank you for listening.